Hello, I'm Mark Perry. I'm the writer of Dark Shadows Reincarnation, and you're listening to Vampires and Slayers. I'm Ed Gross, and this is Vampires and Slayers, the podcast where we explore the undead and those who wish to return them to the grave in film, television, fiction, and legend. One of the most fascinating aspects of the vampire genre is the way that it is able to reinvent itself and come up with new permutations while exploring a wide range of themes. Black as Night is one of the films making up Bloomhouse Television and Amazon Studios' Welcome to the Bloomhouse and is currently streaming on Amazon. Set in Louisiana in the present day, the focus is on a teenager named Shauna, who discovers that her neighborhood is being filled with a growing army of the undead, one of whom is her mother. In collaboration with a couple of her friends, she goes off on a quest to put an end to this threat. In this episode of Vampires and Slayers, we're going behind the scenes on Black as Night with writer Sherman Payne and director Marit Ligo. It sounds so insulting to say this, but I was pleasantly surprised because I had this image in my head of the low budget, you know, cheesy kind of vampire movie. I was so surprised at how good it was. So, uh, you know, congrats on that. That's uh, I'd rather I'd rather have that reaction than the opposite. Yeah, well, yeah, there is that, I guess. Right. (laughs) So, so, So what you know, what drew you to this? I mean, how did this one come about for you? You know, I um, am a movie lover and I watch all kinds of movies and television. And, uh, you know, I've been watching over the past 10 or 15 years, the resurgence of the vampire uh, genre and, the you know, both on television and in film. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I when I think about things like uh, Twilight or Vampire Diaries or True Blood, which I really loved, um, they all have sort of the same kind of archetype as their protagonists, you know, sort of the damsel in distress, uh, passive young white lady. And I wanted to do something that was just more culturally specific and sort of honor the the, the black women that I have in my life um, right. and, and, and give them a real, give the Shauna, the protagonist of this vampire movie, a real uh, heroic streak, a real take charge attitude, not waiting around for other people to come save her or just sort of being pushed back and forth by vampires having their way with her. I wanted her to take charge. And I think that's a real, you know, cultural specific because I think a black woman would react very differently in a vampire situation than maybe a suburban person, uh, you know, a suburban white person would. Right. But I also wanted to just tell a different kind of story. Well, and and you accomplished that. And it is interesting because she does, right. It's almost like you're going to bite me, screw you. And I'm going to you know, bite my mother and do this. You know, I'm, I'm coming yeah. after you. Uh, kind of thing. And I love the fact that people didn't have to be convinced. You know what I mean? So often in these movies, it's like you spend half the movie saying, there's a vampire. That's crazy. No, it's not. It's a vampire. I have proof, you know, and all that stuff. So it was kind of nice. You could just sort of dive into it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, uh, you know, I'm a kid who grew up in uh, sort of the postmodernist television and movie world where you often reference other kinds of uh, projects and other kinds of genres and those exist in the world of movies and I wanted to do that too so like they've seen Buffy they know about Buffy they know about Dracula nobody is I'm not having to build the world and rules of vampires from the scratch from scratch and I think that was really um, cool because then we got to comment on vampire lore in really interesting ways and undercut it in some places and then really show respect to it in others so I'm glad you noticed that. The setting of the film in this post-Katrina, Louisiana, New Orleans. uh, I'm curious how important that was because the rest of the world in so many ways moved on. 
And yet the impression you get, and not, not just from this movie, I mean, from other things, is that the pieces are still being picked up after all these years over there. So how important was it for you to sort of set it there and also deal with the people, so many people who, who were, uh, you know, like lost in a sense and are found by this vampire, but in, uh, all that, I'm just curious. Yeah, um, thank you for that question. It's a really great question. Um, so to answer the first part of it, you know, the script wasn't originally written for New Orleans. And I think once we started to focus on where we could shoot it and we decided that New Orleans was a was the place that we were gonna do it, it was really important to me that, um, we honor that city and its culture and its history because New Orleans, I think, is one of the handful of places where if you're going to set a movie there, you have to understand that it is New Orleans and New Orleans has to be a real character that shapes the narrative. So I knew that I wanted to address New Orleans directly head on. It wasn't just going to be another nameless, faceless location. And to your other point, um, you know, that stuff really concerns me just in my day to day life, you know, uh, uh, Katrina and this aftermath was, I think, a pivotal moment in our country, but all, but especially for Black people, I think it was a real important um, political and, and societal issue. And I followed all that very closely, and I still follow it to this day. And one of the things that you learn is that it did affect New Orleans permanently. People will, it, it, um, not that people will never recover, but it changed the fabric of the city. It changed the way that city operates and the way and, and it's one of those demarcations in history that where things just change. It's a real inflection point. So I wanted to look at, well, it's been about 15 years since Katrina, but how might those things ha still have ripple effects in today's society? And um, that's what that's that's the angle I took on it from the beginning. And building building an army based on sort of the despondent the the those who have been lost. I think, or the homeless, you know, whatever it may be, the, the drug addict and all that. It's just mm -hmm. a fascinating way to go in terms of if you're going to build an army, just do it in an army that nobody's going to notice is building. Yeah. And I also wanted to, you know, vampires are predators, right? Like they have a biological imperative to, to, to prey on other human beings. And when you look at predators in nature, they do not go after male models and aristocrats and the wealthy. <laughs> right. They go predators will would go after the weakest amongst the herd. The lion chases the oldest gazelle with the limp. It doesn't go after the fastest gazelle. And I wanted to make vampires real predators grounded in our reality. So these vampires went after the people who have been the most marginalized the most pushed to the periphery of our culture and society um, for exactly the reasons you said. Uh, they're easier targets. They're going to they're gonna raise less, um, less of red flags when they go missing or their lifestyle changes drastically. So I was trying to ground it in some sense of reality. Absolutely. And it did. I mean, it's a very that's why I say it was felt like such a different kind of uh, vampire movie in a lot of ways. Um, now, you know, you mentioned that they're predators and that sort of thing. What is your sort of where do you lean in terms of your vampires, so to speak, like in the sense of there's the angst ridden vampires like Barnabas Collins from Dark Shadows or Angel or something like that. And then you've got the predator vampires or, yeah. or Lestat in the former. Where, where do you lay? I mean, lean. Which uh, is yeah, I want I want to in this. Well, first of all, I appreciate all that media, you know, and I and one of the things I love about vampires is given what 
time period we're in and who the author is and, and who are the people behind it. We get several different versions of vampires and I, and I really appreciate that. And I've written on shows with vampires before. So I like yeah. all different versions and I find all of them fascinating for their own reasons. But here I wanted to make them monsters. I really wanted them to be monsters. I really wanted them to be aggressive, predatory monsters. I was not looking to romanticize them. And again, I think this is, I was trying to pay homage to the cultural specificity that I talked to you about earlier is that, you know, I'm not sure the sisters I know would think that vampires were cute in like possible love interests. I think they would think that they were gross and monsters and they wouldn't want anything to do with them. And I really wanted to give that version of monsters as opposed to the one that's are sort of swooping into to romance the lead character. Right. Yeah, one, one of the strongest moments for me in the movie, and I assume this was all scripted, but uh, some of it had to come from the performance as well, is when, when Shauna's talking to her mother and her mother's saying the thing about the metal, how she'll never sell it. It's worth so much money, but she'll never sell it. And the way her face lit up, and then the second later when her mother says, you got any money, even a dollar? And the way she felt, just to have that rise and fall in an instant, yeah. I thought it was extremely powerful in the movie. Very good. Oh, movie. thank you so much. I mean, I think that credit to the performers in that scene, because I think that they really, I mean, that's one of the, all the scenes are great. All the performers do great throughout, but I think that's one of the sort of marquee emotional scenes. And I really love that scene. And I think what I was trying to get at there is sort of the, again, talking about addiction, talking about uh, the, the sort of, the manipulation that comes with being um, a person who needs something from somebody else. And it's almost right. like second nature that she is offering this comforting arm with one hand, but on the other hand, needs something from her daughter. And I wanted to play with that dynamic throughout the scene. I don't think that she's being disingenuous in that moment, but I also think that subconsciously she knows that buttering up her daughter uh, might actually get her what she wants. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The ending too, where, where I forget his name. I'm sorry. His, where the friend shows up and he's been Pedro. vamped out. Yeah. There you go. Uh, uh, was that always the intention to say, okay, we're going to have that little shock ending. Cause I remember when I was a kid, there was a movie called count Yorga vampire. <laughs> and at the end of this movie, you think everybody got away and all of a sudden at the last second, the girl turns to the guy and she opens her mouth and clumps down on his neck, you know? So did you, were you going for sort of an old fashioned, like let's give that last little twist type thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then, I really like the way it came out. In previous drafts, we made much more about the fact that um, Pedro had not turned. You know, he had not mm -hmm. turned. We thought the coast was clear. And so that when he shows up at the end, it was an even bigger shock. But I like, you know, I like the idea that we think, you know, that uh, the movie's over in the sense that the, the mission has been, uh, spoiler alert, everybody, that the uh, mission has <laughs> been accomplished. Please watch the movie first. The mission has been accomplished and the coast is clear. And then we realize that there is actually, it doesn't end. Right. It, it, it's, it, vampires are immortal for a reason. And so that we can never really rid the world of vampire. TV series. I'm telling you, this thing has TV series written all over it, man. Listen, uh, I hope, I hope our, our, listen, I hope our corporate overlords at Amazon, do you hear that? You hear that? <laughs> Hopefully this will be a big hit for us. And then uh, they will green light the series uh, post haste. Wouldn't Let's that be lovely? Yes. <laughs> Last question, because I know we're almost out of time here. As you mentioned earlier, and it's true, the vampire genre, you, and you said the last 10, 15 years, I mean, I've noticed that with the exception of the 1950s, mm -hmm. vampires have been so prominent 
since Bella Lugosi put on that cape, you know, that cloak uh, in Dracula, and it, and it never seems to go away. What is it? I mean, why do you think people are so attracted to the notion, whether they're the beasts or the more regal, you know, sophisticated kind? What is it about vampires that people are drawn to? It's just, I think, uh, and this is just one man's opinion, I think it's because it's such a useful metaphor. Mm -hmm. You know, by presenting these monstrous versions of humans, we actually can clarify more about humanity and learn more about how people actually behave and exist. We sort of mm -hmm. pushed it to the limits of, uh, you know, of course it's fantastical and it's totally fant uh, totally fictional and, and um, just uh, over the top. But in doing that, we get to learn about humans' addiction and humans' sexuality and uh, predator prey. And uh, even now in, in this day and age, themes about consent. Um, we can just use the vampire to tell us so much about us and what's going on with us currently. I don't think it will ever go away. It's uh, out of all the monsters and all sort of the folklore that we have, vampires, it's hard to beat vampires in terms of their like, you know, um, pound for pound metaphorical punch. Vampires and Slayers will be right back as we continue our look at Black as Night with director Marit Ligo. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morph. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. I watched the film today and I have to tell you, I was very surprised how good it was. And I don't mean that as an insult. I don't mean that as I know that comes across terrible, like a backhanded compliment, but it's not. It's like I thought this like low budget, yeah. you know, vampire movie and, and that sort of thing. It was so good. Oh, my God. Thank you. That means so much. Thank you. Absolutely. It, well, I want to, first of all, what drew you to this? Let's start with that. What yeah. drew you to this project? Well, I love horror films. Um, and as soon as I read this script, I had never read anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but never with this type of voice, never with this much um, importance, but also fun. Um, and it also explored so many different tones. You know, it's coming of age. There's, there's um, heartwarming heartbreaking scenes but there's also violence and fun I love horror too so like yeah. having all of those kind of together was a really well-rounded script that I felt had never been seen before and I also just really vibed with the protagonist I felt like I was her and so I was experiencing um something that I love you know the classic vampire tale but told in a new way through new eyes and I was automatically kind of just I just fell in love with it and how to be a part of it she was just to go on a side thing there for a second she was amazing in the sense of there is the, the the scene that really sort of blew me away i don't know why exactly but the bit with her mother where her oh, mother wow. says oh i would never sell this chain you know yeah. they'd offer so much money i'd never sell it and the look of the delight on her face and the next second when she says have you got any money even a dollar yeah the way she's crestfallen after that yes yes instant high and low like oh uh, really thank you so much for that i think that it was so important to establish like she had so much hope that her mom would be better that she could mm -hmm. come home 
that she was so close, like to see that she can see her mother through this addiction and to have it ripped away from you like that, you know, cause it's the addiction was still there. I, I actually got, you know, um, inspired a little bit cause I was at a restaurant one night and there was this young man who seemed all put together. He seemed very like, he was just down on his luck and was like, you know, can I have a dollar? I'm really hungry. You know, I'm like, Oh, I, it's very strange. Cause he seemed like, a, like such a nice guy, you know, I gave right. him like, I gave him five bucks and I saw this switch in his eyes that was like, Oh my God, now I can go buy drugs. He ran out of there so fast. He didn't say thank you. He didn't say anything. And I could see the sickness inside of him, but he seemed like such a nice guy that had just fallen into this drug that controlled him. And so when I read this scene, I was like, it's just like that moment of like seeing that human, that beautiful human that you love so much. And then, bam, as soon as they can have that little bit of pleasure to just disappear, they'll take it and go. And it's, it's almost like this animalistic need to, to have that. And so thank you for noticing that. I really appreciate that. Oh yeah. It was, it's, mm-hmm. see, those are the things that elevate it from just being what I was saying earlier about that. And that's kind of one of the surprises for me was it elevates it beyond just being a typical, you know, quotes, uh, horror movie it, it to something a little bit more with a little yeah. more to it. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Which leads into the whole post-Katrina society there. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, Oh, sounds like a violent animal. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the idea, though, of, well, first of all, that setting and the despair that's there and the, anytime the one speech somebody makes about how you have this hope and it keeps getting snatched away. Mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah was that important to you dealing with sort of those issues of the downtrodden the ones people won't notice because- yes absolutely um that's another um kind of spin on the vampire lore as well i think that you know we're talking about a deeper issue and the oppression of black people and it drives you it, it drove our our uh, antagonist and all his followers to a place of darkness, a place that they wanted to, you know, take vengeance on uh, something that was, that has been awful within our country. And so it, it was like another spin on it. You know, it wasn't, a lot of times I think they, they say that vampires are kind of like this, you know, for, I don't want to, I don't want to mention other movies. Sorry. Uh, I won't, I won't do that. But um, it was kind I, of like a di- no, but like, you know, I don't want to speak negatively on any other movies, but I think that it's just kind of a spin on on what has been established in, and seen in a new way. And also taking kind of the antagonist point of view of it and how it kind of poisons and also continues to oppress. Like he's been taking, uh, taking this viewpoint and, and further oppressing where she is, you know, Shauna is trying to forward her people and her community. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Keith David did that wonderful speech too. I mean, it's very quick. It was a short speech, but it beautifully, I thought encompassed, you know, centuries of, of what he's pushing back against in like, in just in a very nice little uh, succinct, like this year, this year, this year, and 19 and, you know, 2020 Uh, is interesting how it like was able to bring it all together. So yeah, I think it's really cool because then you can kind of understand how he got to that dark place. And again, you can choose what, what you're going to do with this 
trauma? Are you going to let it poison and intoxicate or, you know, uh, create a toxic environment of more hatred and, and, and continue this, um, this path? Or are we going to do something positive about it? Again, like Shauna's character takes it to a, a more hopeful place. And, um, you know, speaking with Keith David before this project, he, he's been doing films forever. I think he's got like 400 credits, but he's wow. been doing it forever. And he's experienced a lot of um, racism himself and has seen things change. And he's been able to kind of rise above these situations and really prove himself as such a an epic uh, kind of actor, you know, in our world. And so he really kind of, he really related to this character, uh, which was very powerful. Um, so we had a lot of conversations and, and, and kind of digging deeper on how a person can go so dark and turn into the monster that they, they hated. Uh, I do love him turning uh, the bit about how his slave, the, the slave owner mm-hmm. that he was with, uh, basically, and you know, it was the last to like let go of the idea of slavery and the fact that he took his justice by taking over the guy's house, basically, and yeah. uh, using yeah. it for his own purposes. I thought that was intriguing too. Yeah. Uh, you know. No, I loved creating that that animated sequence. It was so fun. It's like I really just want to do kind of like the the prequel to to this character. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it also afforded us, like you know, like you said, this was a pretty low budget movie, and so. Um, we knew that to, to kind of instill that history, I wouldn't be able to do it physically. It would be right. way too expensive, but to do it through animation, you know, you can push the boundaries even more and, and instill that kind of history uh, visually, but uh, on a tight budget. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Is this genre something you're interested in? I mean, when I don't mean horror per se, I mean the vampire genre, the idea of vampires, is that something that interests you? Or? I love 30 days of night love i've seen that movie a hundred times it's very very dark and you know this one is a little bit lighter as it's coming of age and it's for a younger audience but i wanted to push it even darker Mm. (laughs) i just i (laughs) (laughs) i just love 30 days of night it's terrifying and um i have always wanted to do a vampire movie um and so this is honestly a dream come true. I, I love that it, it kind of spins it and, and creates a new type of monster. And I would love to continue to make uh, more horror films with, I, see, I love creating monsters and designing it and, and being able to design it with um, the VFX department and the makeup effects department. That, that's really the most exciting things for me. I have, I've been working on you know, different monsters that originate in the Philippines and I'd love to bring it over here. They're just monsters that you've never seen before that are that are similar to the vampire. Yeah. Well, I love me some vampires, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, so you prefer, it sounds like you prefer the more, you know, there's the two types of vampires, right? Well, there's three types if you count some, something that sparkles in the sunlight, which is stupid. Um, <laughs> without mentioning titles. Yes. Uh, but there's the, the angst-driven vampire, like from Dark Shadows or Angel. Mm-hmm. Or something, and then you've got the monsters. Uh, yes. Where do you fall in terms of what you like in terms of your vampires? Um, you know, uh, the two vampire movies that I love again, Thirty Days of Night, an Interview with a Vampire. Um, yeah. I love the lore of both of them. There's so much history within in both of their 
um, kind of uh, like the 30 days of night vampire, you know, they say that they've been doing this from the beginning of time in these little towns that are completely secluded that nobody would ever notice, um, you know, have, have gone missing. Um, they're also just these creatures that they don't, they don't tell too many details of like how they originated. Um, but, uh, just how they've existed and how they continue to exist. I love that they believe that there is no God and that hopelessness that humanity feels. Um, and then with interview with a vampire that just spans time just as we do. And, and again, takes place in, in New Orleans, which is amazing because we have the same locations manager. And so like being able to kind of take these two worlds and, and mesh them because I, I look at interview with the vampire and in awe of what they were able to accomplish. Um, I don't know if I'm getting off subject of what the original question is, but I'm just, no, <laughs> no please. That's fine. You're, you're okay, cool. Basically. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I kind of took little pieces from these movies that I love so much and was able to spin it off into this new direction. The writer is so talented and, um, he really, pulled from his own experiences um, and was able to tell a story that was so original. Um, but being able to, you know, pull from all these classical vampire tales and, and make it a new thing was, was really exciting. The idea of the vampire, why do you think it endures the way that it does? Because it never goes away. It seems decade after decade, the vampire become, is sort of perennial. You know, it's like vampires and um, uh, zombies. I feel like they'll never disappear. The the fascination of this monster it's a little it's a little sexual, mm-hmm. it's terrifying, um, and they, they have like this power that's so appealing, you know, to live forever, you know, and and the ability to give that to others, um, right. the ability to live forever. Um, so I think it's it's such a fascinating monster, and I I just don't think that. Um, we haven't seen anything like that uh, match the this this incredible eternal power and sexiness. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It's just it's fascinating, and I don't, I don't think it'll ever go away. Black as Night is currently available for streaming on Amazon. If you're a fan of superheroes, please check out our Voices from Krypton podcast. And if you prefer classic TV, there's TV Retrovision. Please subscribe to Vampires and Slayers, tell your friends about us, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you after the next sunset.